Hello, and welcome to the Sound Ed Podcast. This podcast explores the relationships between kids and adults. We discuss issues related to our kids and their experiences in school. After all, that's where they spend most of their day. This is a podcast for anyone who is interested in making the world a more mindful, more loving, and more sound place for our children. I'm Laura, an English teacher and the founder of Sound Writers, a boutique tutoring service. Welcome to the conversation. Hey listeners, welcome to the very first episode of the Sound Ed Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Carrie Shea. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I think it would be best if you introduced yourself and then tell us a little bit about what you do and um, how you work with kids. So let's start there. Okay. Thank you for having me, Laura. This is so it's fun. It's a huge privilege to be here for the first big podcast. <laughs> I know. I've been saving you. <laughs> I know. I appreciate it. And I've been tough to, to track down yeah. my summer schedule. I've been stalking you. Yes. Well, I appreciate it. Um, so I am a licensed professional counselor and I um, have the unique opportunity, I guess, to work in both a school, um, a therapeutic boarding school, and I also do private practice. So, um, and I've done that in different capacities for about 15 years. So what age group do you primarily work with? So um, the majority of my clients um, are adolescents. So I would say seventh, eighth grade to, um, uh, you know, pre, right out of um, high school. Um, that's at the Grove School. And in my private practice, I work with adults and um, okay. families. Okay. Um, well, why don't you take us back to the very beginning mm -hmm. and what was your very first job out of college and then sort of how did that journey lead you to where you are now? Okay. Um, I know this is like a, a trip down memory road, I know. so it's um, fun to do. So right out of college, I actually was a waitress. Awesome. <laughs> because I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Well, that's not completely true. So right out of college, I... Um, planned a trip with friends where I went uh, to Europe for two yes. months, did okay. the backpacking, yeah. did the whole yeah. thing, which was really great yeah. experience. So my whole plan had been to not get a job yet so <laughs> that I could do that trip. Um, but all the while, even through college, I went through, do I want to do psychology? Do I want to do, I thought I wanted to do PT for a long time, physical okay. therapy. And then when I learned doing an internship in physical therapy, that what I really liked was like what motivated Mary to come to her appointment each week Yay. and what got her to actually, you know, do more leg extensions so she could work on the quad injury mm -hmm. that she had. And so I realized I was maybe barking up the wrong tree. Um, some people don't like when I say this, but I actually <laughs> oh, oh, did um, pick psychology because it was the fewest amount of credits oh, that you needed gosh. to get a major at my college. And because I was a music minor and a science minor, wow. um, and that allowed me because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I wanted to keep all my options open. That's so, so cool. So that's why I picked psychology. That's so cool. That Music point. and science. Right. I love that combination. Well, I really liked, um, even at that point, I was really aware of mind-body work. Yeah, I was yeah, aware yeah. of music therapy was starting to kind of be cool. a thing. Mm -hmm. um, that whole idea of how you kind of connect with people using different mediums. I yeah. always think, like, music therapy, I got into that idea because they said, like, Pachelbel's Canon in D yeah, yeah. resonates with the tone of the body mm -hmm. and the repetitive nature of it goes in sync with the biological sink and that cool. was something you know and so I just thought that was really cool 
Um, so, so there I went. I was waitressing with my <laughs> psychology degree yep. and science and music um, background. And, and was just kind of keeping open options. So okay. at the time, I did a lot of different things, ultimately landing a job um, working in a group home. Oh, wow. So I worked in a group home with um, adults, young adults with mental illness um, wow. in Long Island. And that was like a so phenomenal how, experience. How old were you? So I was, I guess, 22, 23. And oh at times gosh. I was like the only staff member in a home of 10 you know, adults and had to work with, um, you know, whatever their diagnosis was. And it was my first like real, real job. Not that my waitressing wasn't a real job because I really think everybody should waitress Mm -hmm. at some point in their life. Sometime Um, I'll tell you about how when I got fired when I was a waitress. I'll tell you about that. But Uh, yeah, you learn learn a lot of rough life skills. Um, So were the ages of the group home adolescents and adults? Yes, it was mostly, um, it, it was considered a phase one house. So these were people who needed to be supervised 24 um, seven. Oh. So we, you know, took turns, staff, the house was staffed 24 okay. seven. Um, so it was really as a 23 year old at times where I'm sleeping in this house because you were mm. overnight staff also. Oh my gosh. Um, with 10 residents was, was kind of felt like a major responsibility. And I'll within say. three months of that job, um, I think because I had some good opportunities and I think also because they were, they didn't have a lot of um, applicants, mm-hmm. I became a supervisor of that house. So here I was 23, and 24 and yeah. supervising this house and sometime I'll tell you how I, you know, wrongly um, told somebody they should do a, uh, I guess it's not a colonoscopy if they're doing it in the house, but um, <laughs> but something that really seemed to help one of the residents who had schizophrenia. <laughs> For a wow. period of time, but was totally wrongly ha- handled by me. <laughs> um, Wait, so here were these people sent to the home? So these were people okay. who, and it was state run on some level, but it was people who needed help working on daily living skills okay. and needed to figure out what their, you know, some of them went to to community college classes. Some okay. of them had a job in the community, but most of them, we were working with them on making sure they got up on time, t- took their medication, yeah. knew how to make their breakfast, knew how to, you know, right. clean their room, knew how to, mm-hmm. you know, follow up with phone calls. So that kind of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And would you say that was one of the most transformational I would say it was a really big eye opener into the whole spectrum of kind of the human condition. Yeah. I think before that, I had a very um, kind Limited. of right idea of what it meant to of of what life was like for people mm-hmm. outside my own experience. Yeah. And so this was really big, like wow. And then figuring out how do you connect with those people mm-hmm. where they are, mm-hmm. and how do you really see their um, their strengths, how do you mm-hmm. see their abilities, how do you have compassion for them? A lot of them's families were not involved. Right, right, um, right. So that was that was a really, really interesting job that made me then say, all right, I think I could do more of this. Um, you know, at the same time, I was an aerobics instructor. Amazing. <laughs> During that period of time, <laughs> I did some work in an elementary school because my uncle was a school yeah. psychologist, so I got to do, so I just was trying out yeah. all kinds of, of things. Um, and so then I finally applied to go into a clinical psych program and to do my master's. 
And at the time, I was really into health psychology, which mm -hmm. which is essentially is that idea that we can't disconnect our mind from our body, body yeah. and that it's not our physiological mm -hmm. selves and our psychological selves are not necessarily disconnected. Mm -hmm. And that was also kind of a new very trendy field. Yes. <laughs> um, so there wasn't a lot of programs that yeah. did that. Um, so so that's what I started. And it okay. was really, um, I think cool about that, which hadn't even been my plan, is going into that program, I was one of the few people who had experience. So there mm -hmm. I was, 25 or whatever, right. and, and I had a sense of when they were talking about schizophrenia or mm -hmm. bipolar or, you know, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, I could picture people who I had worked with who were yeah. suffering from the, um, those disorders and to be able to really um, have some hands-on practical experience. So you went to study at Morgan. So I went to study at Morgan. How long did it take you to get your degree? So I guess that was about two years. I had to go after that some to then get the, um, for the full licensure. Okay. Um, but I did that and actually right following that I went abroad again when I finished that program mm -hmm. and I studied because at that point I thought maybe I wanted to do something more kind of looking at healthcare systems or mm -hmm. working on how we get um, different programs delivered to people. Mm -hmm. So um, there was actually a program abroad, abroad that was studying healthcare systems. Oh, cool. Um, which my um, my father-in-law was actually a professor at the time through Syracuse and got all these free credits that nobody in his family ever used. Oh, so we gosh. weren't even married yet, but he somehow gave me, and it was through Amazing. Syracuse University, so I went off and... Oh, my um, gosh. Yes, I was not contracted then to marry my husband, yeah. but... <laughs> Um, but that was also, I mean, so here I am traveling, you know, again, which was amazing, but you're also looking at healthcare delivery systems. So not only what helped certain people, but what got in the way of people getting the help that they needed. Um, and this is sort of the sciencey part of it. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I mean, what that, I really thought for a while that what I wanted to then do was work in kind of healthcare systems. Mm -hmm. And so I even did a program after that, you know. Hopkins did like a socio-medical studies. I had started cool. to apply to PhD programs yeah. to look at um, different programs that worked in terms of healthcare systems. And then, um, but, but my program abroad kind of made me rethink that. I thought, I don't know. I don't think you go on to a PhD program still wanting to keep the door so wide open yes, to all the right. things that I wanted to mm -hmm. do and I wasn't ready to narrow it yet. Mm -hmm. So that's when I applied. Um, to uh, there was a there was a program at Columbia which I thought sounded really awesome and I was applying there but I also started to put out some applications for jobs just to see what would happen and okay. I actually came across the job at the Grove School yep. here in Madison yep. um, and what I thought was cool about it is that through this job it meant that I was going to work with people who um, struggled with mental illness yep. and different um, psychological issues it they were also looking for somebody to do more administrative things mm -hmm. to kind of look at the whole system and um. how do we kind of say in this program, how does the milieu mm -hmm. help somebody, mm -hmm. you know, in their growth and change. Mm -hmm. And also it, they needed somebody to kind of work on their health end of things. So not only health and wellness, looking at the kinds of things that what do kids eat, right. how to exercise, yeah, you know, yeah, things yeah. like that. Plus their medical center needed some work. So it kind of Spoke seems like, yeah wow, this is a way for yeah. me to get some further hands-on experience about what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, 16 years later, that's, that's where awesome. um, I'm still involved. It's this really special place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so experiences, 
the experience you had influenced your choices. What mm-hmm. about people? Can you mm-hmm. think of a specific mentor or teacher that really guided you mm-hmm. and sort of put you on a path? It's mm-hmm. a really good question, Laura. Um, <laughs> I would say yes. I would say I also have been one of those people who really ideas yeah. have always guided me. So while I've had some phenomenal people mm-hmm. along the way mm-hmm. and people who really supported that, um, I think I've always been somebody when I hear something that's kind of cool or intriguing or mm-hmm. seems like it, it, it hooks into me in some way, I like figure out how to find in. everything about that that I can. Yeah. And I think what's been really great about my experience at Grove is, is that from the top down, from you know my, mm-hmm. my, the top boss to all the way through, Every single person said, "Ah, oh, that's a great idea. Make that work." Oh, that's awesome. And if you can make that work, then we'll go with it. And that was that's... the perfect environment for me because I thought, yeah. "Oh, cool." And so during that time I was able to do a whole bunch of stuff like that. Okay. Okay. So ideas. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. how you sort of avoided that one. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, okay. So I think this will come the the core beliefs that kind of drive your guide you, the core beliefs mm-hmm. that sort of guide you as you're working with kids and families. Mm-hmm. Can you can you name a couple of those? Like we were actually just talking about yeah. this before we started recording, like right. a mission statement right. for a person. Right. Well, so so that's a great lead-in way to remind me of yes. that. But if I want to take my segue of ideas mm-hmm. back, yes. I, would, <laughs> I would say that, that um, there's a whole great program that the Search Institute does that's about asset building. Okay. And it was, it, it's, it's such a positive thing because you hear so many things yeah. when you work around teenagers, that's kind of like down on this and down on that. And like, you know, mm-hmm. kids today and all these problems mm-hmm. and assets, the, the search Institute looks at all these things that have to do with assets and how to, what can you do that really helps kids? What are things? And so having an influential person in your life yes. is one of those things that's yes. really, really big. Right. And so I would say to not avoid the people question, yeah. That I had that all the way through. Yeah, that's great. All through, there was people mm-hmm. who said, yes, Carrie, you can do that. Mm-hmm. And that was not only from my childhood, but then my work experience of like, oh, you want to try this program in Europe? Go, Go for, for it. it. You want to, you, you're thinking health psychology? All right. Yep. So because I had that from, from a young age on, yeah. I didn't need the person who championed things for me mm-hmm. because I already believed that people were championing me. Championing me? Yep. Is that, can we create Champion. new words on this podcast? Yes, of yeah. course we can. <laughs> um, that's a pretty amazing thing because that's a rare thing. It is have, a rare thing. So people believe mm-hmm. in you right? just because of right. your idea. Right. And it wasn't that they had to agree with all my ideas. Yeah. They had to have, I had to have some sense that if I had an idea, it was possible. Mm-hmm. And so, but it was my job to make that possible. And so that hits all kinds of parenting struggles yeah. that I think we have now mm-hmm. with, uh, with even as parents, how do we give our kids that freedom yeah. to have an idea and then not micromanage it for them? Yes, I know. <laughs> it's tough well, one. this is, this is sort of on, along similar lines. What about boundaries in your work? Because mm-hmm. I, I would imagine, and I find this, this is hard for me to do as a, te- as an educator. I, invest so much sometimes mm-hmm. and, so, and occasionally it can be too much and I have to just right. kind of check myself right that yeah how do you because what it's 
very different for you when they're sort of pouring their soul out right. to you. Right. You know, how do you not... Boundaries could be a whole podcast, podcast. that we could do <laughs> on you because, I, it's, because my evolution of understanding what boundaries has meant yeah. has really evolved from the person in grad school who was told, like, you know, there's this line here and you mm-hmm. do not, other people don't cross it and you have to kind of maintain that. Right. And I was really receptive to that idea because when I was in the group home, mm-hmm. working at the group home, mm-hmm. and... Um, I was living at home at the time. Right. I had nothing but an aerobics ex- class mm-hmm. to maybe go teach in the afternoon. And so I felt like I used the example, and it's probably, um, and I mean it respectfully, to like that Schindler's List, the end of the Schindler's List movie, mm-hmm. where where Schindler, I believe, at the time said, I, I could have saved more people. Mm-hmm. I should have given my watch to. Yeah. I should have given my, I should have done yeah. all this stuff. And that's how I felt. I felt like, well, why can't I stay longer and yeah. help this person? There's constantly a need there yeah. and I can meet it so why wouldn't I right except it was taking a real toll on, on me. you um and so now I realize that boundaries I think that there's a rigidity to some of the ways that we can look at boundaries mm-hmm. that get in the way of actually authentically connecting with people I don't think it's a wrong idea to have a real intimate connection with the people that I work with mm-hmm. but I have to know what that means and that means less about the boundary, while those are important, and I think it means more about my self-awareness. Why am I doing this? Why am I sharing something? Why am I connecting to this person? What is it that I'm looking to do? And that's something that I think that we learn that helps me not just as a therapist, but it helps me as a mother, as a friend, as a wife, as a person, is to just have a sense of what does it mean to connect to people with my roots in the ground Mm -hmm. and allow them to connect to me with their roots in the ground. Because the minute I look to like be their leaning tool yes. and for them to be that, then then we that's the loss of boundary. And I've learned that from the fact that I have clients now who, you know, I, I see on the tennis court that I see right. in stop and shop that if right. if I would have no clientele if I was trying to keep such a rigid boundary, right. but I have a clear idea of what it means to really be um, uh, you know, rooted in the ground. Do you think space plays a role in that? Where you are, you are a certain person. So when you're in your office, mm-hmm. you're working with a student or a family mm-hmm. there, that's one part of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then does that, do the boundaries change when you're in other places? And mm-hmm. you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, well, it's a good, it's a good question. I, 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 and I might think differently about this later, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I, I really think it doesn't change. What it, what it does make clear for me is, am I the person that I mean to be yeah. all the time? Yes. And that doesn't mean that I can't, that I need to be in with a client like I might be out with friends. Yes. In, in a certain, but it does mean that I still have this kind of core thread yes. to me yeah, I, yeah. that is, because I'm now aware if I'm out somewhere, mm-hmm. well, somebody might be two tables over right. that I don't even know who is who sees me mm-hmm. in a different way. And I need to be able mm-hmm. to look in the mirror at all times and feel like I have maintained who I am. That completely resonates with me yeah. because well, in my experience, you know, I was living with students, yes. teaching them, yes. coaching them in the athletic field, mm-hmm. eating dinner with them. Right. And I did see, a, a, I, I'm definitely more of an observer at times and mm-hmm. I would watch some of the other adults being different in different spaces and, right. and wondering what the kids sort of thought of that. Right. Like mm-hmm. that must really confuse kids. Yes. I would yes. wonder, you know, 
I don't know if you can be right. that way in the social room right. and be that way in front yep. of the whiteboard, right. you know, or not, or right. be a different person, yep. I guess I mean. Yep. Um, but that's a great example because I'm doing some residential work myself. Yeah. There are ways to maintain a boundary yeah. and a hierarchy and a, and a difference and still be in your pajamas at night with right. kids. Right, exactly. You know, but you have to maintain that idea of what's my role here. Yes. And I think that that can be really confusing in those situations. Mm-hmm. But if you're clear on who you are, it gets less confusing. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the, that sort of, I'm really interested in that like metacognition and yes. self-awareness. Right. Um, okay. So... Uh, what, uh, this is sort of similar for what we were talking about, but um, what do you think motivates kids? And if, well, if you, oh, and I what think do you think that's like the of? billion dollar question, and that if it you is. and I can figure this out, yeah. then we are like taking the show on the road. I know. Well, um, we are. Yes, we are. We are. Right now, we are taking the show on the road. Um, because I think I think that's a huge problem yeah. that we're trying to figure out yeah. right now is what motivates kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes our um, approach to that problem absolutely gets in the way of fixing the problem. So our approach to the problem becomes, what can we do to get you to be more motivated? And it needs to be creating an environment where a kid starts to learn, wow, I want something. How do I get there? Myself. Yes, myself. And so some of that we have to start much earlier. If Mm -hmm. I use my example again, I I try to think a lot of times about what was it that made me believe that if I wanted something, I needed to go get it. Mm -hmm. No one was going to do that. My parents would like say, hey, go get them. Good luck with you, Mm -hmm. uh, to to you. But they wouldn't say, oh, let me drive you there. How are you going to do that? Well, did you write your application? How did you write your application? (laughs) What is it that you're going to write right now? I don't think we should get you a tutor for that. You know? Yeah. Um, And so... I think we do a lot of because, and I think it comes out of so much love. Sure, yeah, it's in the right I really place. do, but I also think that it lacks some self-awareness mm-hmm. of why it is it's so important for our kids to, mm-hmm. um, to just be who they are. Mm-hmm. And that means we have to be okay with watching our kids blow it yeah. and not be okay. And believe me, as somebody who's a therapist in this town who does parenting workshops and stuff it's really hard to watch my kid have a tantrum and stop and shop and not want to like you know run um, for the hills run for the hills and say like that but also a kid is supposed to have a tantrum sometimes and how I respond to it needs to be responding to my kid and not to the audience or what I see as the pressures around me right 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 which is sometimes easier said than done fear fear Mm -hmm. I think it plays a big role in that yeah. And the costs are so great. I mean, there, you know, there are a lot of costs and there, and, you know, talk about boundaries, the ability to let your kids go out and fail has, has greater consequences in some ways now, because there is so much fear um, out there. There is so much, you know, but I think right. if we could step back from some of the statistics or yeah. actually look at the statistics, maybe more clearly mm-hmm. and say some of the things that we spend so much time trying to avoid happening to our kids there's such a small, small chance of those things happening to our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is now more and more evidence of how greatly we are affecting our kids. And the, num- the amount of anxiety is up, the amount of depression is up in, in your everyday normal kids. Yeah. Um, because they haven't had the opportunities to just try. fail. Yeah. Try, try and, fail. and fail. And then try again. Yeah. Right. I know. I, I think I, we talked a little bit about this before, but some of it has to do with that our own modeling you know yes. we don't really model it very much right we don't really model mm-hmm. failing at all yes no I and think, that it's yeah. okay mm-hmm. and right. so then what are they seeing you know they're not seeing it and some of that is I think that we as parents sometimes have trouble modeling a whole bunch of things yeah. because we're <laughs> yeah. so busy 
you know, know. That because the, yeah. the pace is so great mm -hmm. that it is um, hard to have more time to just sit and allow things to happen. Right. You know, as you start to have kids in sports after school and mm -hmm. after school opportunities, I, you know, I laugh at the, like, the minivan parade yeah. that goes on <laughs> um, all over the place. And I think that you need time for yeah. kids to be able to fail. You need time for kids to be able to sit and, and be motivated or think things through. They're not motivated when they just are told time for practice, time for guitar lessons, mm -hmm. time for, you know, Girl Scouts, get in the car, go, because they never have a yeah. time to figure out what they want to be doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even just to process their own experience right. at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, the time that they're thinking about what happened at soccer practice is the 15 right. minutes in the car on the way to dance, yes. which is their next activity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. So let's, here's my final question. Okay. Give it to me. Okay. Um, what do you think makes a great educator? And I and I mean educator mm -hmm. in, in loose yes. terms. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a teacher in a classroom. Yep. What do you think yep. makes a good educator? I think first and foremost, a modeling of connection. Mm. You know, I think first and foremost, it is it is operating as if you are having an experience with another human being. And I think some of the differences between teachers, coaches, parents, you know, just the, the youth coordinator at a church yeah. who really gets kids or who kids are really drawn to are the ones that they are not just meeting brain to brain, right. but they're meeting heart, heart to heart, heart too. Mm -hmm. Like they have this sense of they are in a moment with somebody. And I think that that is so much more important than content um, and more important. And content is really, really important. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have some meaning connected mm -hmm. to that, and I think that that's one of the things that I, I hope we're coming back to and people are seeing a, a lack of, is that there's this push of driving to get to be the best, to be successful, to have this sense of, of your GPA and your SAT scores and all that stuff, which clearly are important, mm -hmm. but not half as important as being able to be in a moment with somebody, connect to somebody, mm -hmm. and feel like there's meaning attached to it, that there's some weight to it that has to do with their experience. Um, and so I think to be a good educator that you need to have this sense that, that what you are doing is important and that what you, who you are doing it with, they are important and that you're having that connection. Carrie Shea, everybody. <laughs> this was so fun. Thank you. This was so fun. Is it over fun. already? <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> You can come back. All right. All right. You can well, be we'll, an, another. We'll see how it goes because all of these topics, I think just having discussions about this stuff mm -hmm. is, um, is the way that we we all figure it out because it is really confusing. So, Carrie, mm -hmm. why don't you just share with us where people could find you if mm -hmm. they wanted to talk more with you about mm -hmm anything that you talked about today or if they just wanted to connect with you again. Yeah. Your email. So, um, your... you know, certainly email is possible. Um, and that's Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, G as in Graham, Shay, S-H-A-Y at gmail.com. Um, and I also think like you can like Google and my, um, um, uh, my licensure stuff comes up. My, you can, you can find my contact information, um, in town. Or you'll see me at Stop and Shop. Or <laughs> with a kid having a meltdown. <laughs> with a kid having a meltdown. Um, feel free to come in and help. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carrie. Okay, you guys. So you just heard from Carrie Shea. 
Wasn't she amazing? Oh my word. Um, before we close, I just want to thank Carrie one more time for her willingness to be open and honest and share with us. She is really a change maker and we definitely like those around here. I hope we can create community on this podcast where we hear from interesting and inviting people about their lives and their roles as educators. And I hope we can learn from each other. I'm really eager to keep this conversation going. So thank you for listening to the very first episode of the Sound Ed Podcast. And I hope you'll be back to listen to episode number two. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Facebook at sound-writers. And you can also find me on my website at www.sound-writers.com. If you want to share your story and be a guest on the podcast, please, please send me an email. Also, if you like the show, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button on the upper right-hand corner of your podcast app. If you do that, when a new episode comes out, your phone will send you a little update. Also, if you're really moved, you can even write a short review of the show on iTunes. I'll also put the show on SoundCloud so that you can get it there too. Anyway, Thank you again for listening and sharing these essential conversations. Let's do the work, open the dialogue, and make some positive change for our kids.